we go. So much to celebrate today. We're so glad you're here. We want to say welcome home. Uh, Come home is something that we all take seriously because God calls us to come home to his presence. And this is a place of his presence. It gives us great joy also when people come here and say, I just felt like this is my home. I just feel at home here. We're a church of all generations, welcome, celebrated, all ethnicities and nations, all personalities, welcome, celebrated, united together. This is a place where you can be real. We encourage that, not religious and fake, but we can be real. This is a place where you can connect with other people in meaningful friendships, relationships, life groups. This is a place where you can serve, where you don't have to just watch other people, but you can roll up your sleeves, make a difference here and in the community as well. And this is a Jesus place. That's who we love. That's who we're focused on. He's the one that unites us and we celebrate as well. So we just say, welcome home, especially if it's your first time here. Welcome home. We're excited to dive into scripture. That's one of our deep joys together is to get into God's word, to listen to him, to draw close to him because his voice is the one that matters. His voice, the voice of the good shepherd Jesus is the one we listen to. And so let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day, for each person here that you know us and that you guide us, that you've united us, God, that we're not here by accident, but your presence means more than anything else to us today. God, anything that we're focused on that's not your presence, we pray that you would remove any guilt, any shame, any fear, God, so that we'd be freed up to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And when you say Jesus is king, there's some tension, both during the Bible times and also there's tension today. Now, Jesus is king. It's right to say he's king because he is our creator. He is our maker. He is our sustainer. He also is the one who is above with all authority, all governments, leaders, presidents, and kings. He is the king of kings. This is who Jesus is. He is the resurrection. He's overcome death, the devil, darkness, and he will rule and reign forever in a new heaven and a new earth for eternity. It's fitting. He is worthy to say Jesus is king. But in his first coming, some people didn't want to acknowledge that because they had thoughts and expectations that he would be a military or political leader who would overthrow Rome. Well, actually, he will be that military and political leader, but that's his second coming, not his first coming. Some people were confused because how could a king die? How does that work? They didn't expect to see their king murdered and laying down his life on a cross. And then some people were threatened who were in control. Religious leaders were threatened. Political leaders were threatened by Jesus because they wanted control in their little mini kingdom. But Jesus is bringing a kingdom that far exceeds their little fake kingdoms. And so they were threatened by him and they started to think about how to kill him. They played hot potato when it came to what's the decision with his crucifixion because they knew yet he's sinless and he's the savior, doesn't deserve to die, yet they've been given responsibility from God and how will they manage and honor God in that responsibility? All this tension is happening. There's a sign king of the Jews and Jesus was Jewish. Some of the Jews followed him, but many rejected him. The Romans looked down upon the Jews, king of the Jews, and they kind of scoffed at that title. But all that to say, Jesus is the king of the eternal, indestructible kingdom. That's who Jesus is. And when you look at scripture in John chapter 18, we get a glimpse of that tension. As Jesus in this conversation, 
In John chapter 18, we have this scripture. Jesus said, God provides, doesn't he? The power was out in this building today. They said it wouldn't come until 11, but it kind of looks like the power's back. Amen? Our God provides. Our God provides. Some of you didn't know that. You just cruised into church, but some of us were praying early this morning. Uh, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. If you're here today and you're seeking truth, Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the king. And in spite of all our objections and skepticism and cynicism, doesn't change the fact, Jesus is the king. Real clear, there is no kingdom without a king. We can't talk about a kingdom without a king. Jesus is the king of kings. There's no resurrection without a death. And also, there's no king without a resurrection. There's no kingdom without a king. There's no resurrection without a death. And there's no king unless there's a resurrection. But we have a resurrected king. That's why we celebrate today. He's worthy. He's a Messiah in David's line. The Messiah had to be in David's line. Who overcame death and the grave and who will be on the throne forever. Who is this king? Let's focus on three characteristics of King Jesus. Because we want to become like Jesus. That's our calling, not just to admire him, but to become like Jesus. God wants to empower us when we pray, thy kingdom come We want to walk with the king. We want to be culture changers, not just observers or complainers. And God empowers you to change this culture as you abide with the king. So who is this king? Three characteristics. The first one, King Jesus is benevolent, including people who are stuck. Sometimes we get stuck in this world. We get caught up in ourselves. We get stuck in our faith. King Jesus is benevolent. And as we go through these three characteristics, it's not only that Jesus has the right to be king. The question is, do you want him to fully be your Lord and king? And let's think through Jesus is because to know him is to trust him. To trust him is to know him and then realize who he is that we can say yes to Jesus fully as king and Lord of our lives. He's benevolent. People get stuck. Thomas was stuck. After the resurrection, Thomas had doubts. There's probably a lot of doubts in this room. I wrestle with doubts in my own heart at different points. And Jesus knows we get stuck in doubt. So how does he respond? Jesus is consistent, patient, and faithful. When you're doubting, you can say that confidently. Jesus is consistent, patient, and faithful. He comes alongside of you. He is a benevolent king, and he leads you to the truth. That's what he did with Thomas. This is an appearance after his resurrection in John chapter 20. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, verse 26, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, my Lord 
and my God. Jesus said to him, peace. We live in a culture that's never been more anxious and stressed. The American Psychological Association says more stressed right now than any point in our history, we need to hear Jesus saying, peace. We need the Prince of Peace to come in and calm our hearts. Chaos then, chaos now, but Jesus brings peace. Then he tells Thomas, reach out your hand, extend your hand. God says this to the man with a shriveled hand earlier, extend your hand. It's a gesture. It's saying, God, here I am. Reach out your hand. I'm open to truth. Jesus, I'm seeking you. I want to know the truth. And Jesus brings evidence. And when he brings the evidence of the resurrection, whether it's the 500 witnesses, the written scripture, the changed lives of the disciples, the empty tomb, when he brings all this evidence, don't fight truth. Instead, stop doubting and believe. What truth do you need to receive today? The truth that God's peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The truth of God's power is resurrection power is available to you where you live, work, learn, or play 24-7, not just in this building. His presence that he'll never leave you or forsake you. That he has risen from the grave. He is the resurrection and the life. What promises do you need to receive today? That you are made in God's image, that you are loved, that you are wonderfully made, that God goes ahead of you, that God's prepared for you already works that you're gonna step into, that you are part of God's family forever, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. What is it that your spirit and mind and heart needs to receive as God downloads it through his word, through the Holy Spirit today? Thomas received and we also need to receive. See, there's a transplant, there's an exchange. Even on the cross, God gives us his righteousness and takes our sin. There's an exchange and a transplant. I think transplants are powerful pictures, and so I'm gonna highlight some today. And this story caught my attention. This man's name is Adam. He lives in Pennsylvania, in Philly, and he is a transplant surgeon. And the story says he bolted. I have not seen too many surgeons bolting sprinting, right? That's kind of unusual. So why was he doing that? Because there was a liver that was being delivered, but it was caught in traffic. In the Philadelphia Marathon, the delivery from New York with the liver was caught in traffic and his patient was waiting for the surgery and you know there's a limited window. There's just a narrow window where the surgery has to happen and the liver was stuck. Well, Adam is the surgical director. Sounds like he's got a pretty important position, but it sounds like he's bought into servant leadership. And this is at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia. He found out at midnight, ready to serve at midnight, that a liver, although delivered from New York, was not arriving and then in the morning was stuck in this marathon traffic. This is what he says. The patient needed this organ, and I was getting a little bit worried with the amount of time we were waiting for the liver. I knew he wouldn't be able to get across, and that's when I took off and got it. The surgeon raced out of the hospital, ran over a half mile to the transplant truck, retrieved the organ, made his way back through the marathon course with this box holding the liver, running through the marathon in his scrubs, holding the liver in a box. And he says, I would hope my partners and all the people we train would do the same thing. Go the extra mile 
for people. Set the example. Don't just do it once in a while. Do it consistently. Let me that become the culture at Grace Community Church and in your home, in our community. We're ready to serve and go the extra mile and do it consistently. Why? Because there's someone in need. It was Charles Rowe, 66 years old, waiting 15 months for a transplant. He needed it because of his complications with hepatitis C. And Adam doesn't want any accolades. He says he just wants people to think about being a donor. Live donation, as far as kidneys go, one kidney can save someone's life. He's saying, don't talk about me. Just be inspired to serve people where you're able to serve them. And maybe that means giving blood or maybe it means giving a kidney. God will lead you. What is your name on it? But go there. Don't be stuck. Don't be stuck in your faith. And where might you be stuck today? Here's some ways that people often get stuck in their walk with God. It could be in prayer. You're not really persistent or consistent or pouring your heart out. It's a lot of self-reliance, to be honest, instead of crying out to God. Or it could be worship. You're just kind of stingy. You don't really enter in with your heart in praising him. You're extra cautious, even though he's worthy. Or generosity, you're kind of stingy. You could make a difference with what God's given you, your times, your talents, but you're kind of stingy. Or maybe you're in some systems or even dead religion and legalism and false teaching and you're stuck there. Maybe it's related to tithing and you're not thinking about the kingdom. Or maybe you're stuck in the wrong job right now and you know it. And maybe it's a dating relationship where you're stuck and it's not honoring God. In the area of purity, you've been stuck for a while. You just haven't broken free with purity or serving other people, sharing your faith. Maybe your attitude stinks. And if we're honest, there's just way too much grumbling. Where are you stuck today? And will you receive the presence, the truth, the grace of God? Just like Thomas in this passage, Thomas receives Jesus, receives the truth, and there's an exclamation, my Lord and my God. When you receive truth and you receive Jesus, there is an exclamation of praise. You say, my Lord, my God, stop doubting and believe and give Jesus praise instead of being stuck. God is benevolent and it leads to praise. The second is that King Jesus is humble, including with people who are disappointed. And Mary was disappointed. There was a death. She loved Jesus. She was crying and grieving. She was looking for answers. She was looking for his body. Some of us have been through difficult loss of loved ones, and it's a deep grief that can last so long. And yet there's a hope that's greater than our grief if we continue to abide with Jesus and don't despair. Well, Mary was there in John chapter 20, trying to figure out what's life gonna look like and what does she do next? And in John chapter 20, in verse 14, At this, she turned around and saw Jesus, another resurrection appearance, Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking Jesus was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned to him, cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, teacher, Rabboni, teacher. He said her name in the middle of the disappointment. 
Have you ever been at a low point in life? You feel like giving up? And Jesus comes alongside in his tender voice, the good shepherd, and whispers your name. Who are you looking for, Mary? She sees Jesus, but she thinks he's the gardener. Some people see, but they don't see. She heard his voice, but she didn't hear him. Some people are hearing, but they're not hearing. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. She's so disappointed. And sometimes when you're very disappointed, the pain affects your perception in life. It affects the way you see Jesus because of the pain and the disappointment that this life brings. Disappointment can including, and Mary probably felt this, and we feel this so often, I didn't want this. I didn't see this coming. This was less than I hoped for, less than I expected. It's not playing out like how I wanted it to play out. I've never been in this much pain. I've never felt this alone. The pain is overwhelming. I don't understand it. It feels so unfair, and I just don't feel much hope. That's grieving, going through that. There's some people in this room who are serving, but they're also crying. They're trusting, but they're also hurting. They're loving, but they're also grieving. They're praying, and they're also searching. It's both at the same time. You know, when we think of the term Good Friday, we're puzzled. Like, how could that be good? Because we have a perception that good is always easy, comfortable, and pleasurable. But that's not the definition of good. Good, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for someone. And good includes sacrifice. Good includes unselfishness. Selfish people will not change this world. It's gonna be the unselfish people that rise up and change the world. And Jesus modeled that. It was good because it was redemptive. And God redeems and can take our pain and fuel and forge a new purpose and passion. And that's what's gonna happen in Mary's life when she hears her name. When Jesus says her name. Because when you say the name, you're recognizing it. Jesus is humble with Mary, comes alongside of her. Paul has a humble heart as he mentors Timothy. He knows for this young Timothy, there's gonna be things you're gonna face that are so difficult and disappointing. He knows ministry is no cakewalk. He knows that things happen in a church that are against God. He knows that Timothy's gonna go through this and be tempted to be disillusioned. And that's why he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, from his heart, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. As you look at those verses, when you're grieving, it's important to not ignore these verses. The only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light. We worship God, even as we grieve in tears, we pour our hearts to God, worship God, and Mary is hearing, and, and hope is rising. Humble King Jesus is coming alongside of disappointed Mary. And there's another transplant story I wanna share, and my cousin's wife, her name is Kelly, and Kelly's a nurse. Kelly's been aware for many years that there's 89,000 people waiting for a kidney. And Kelly made the decision, but she said, I wanted to have the blessing of my dad. Dad worked in the hospital his entire life in different roles. 
and told dad about the desire to donate her kidney to a stranger. And dad said, cool. So she got dad's blessing and then went to mom. Mom's a little more of a worrier. And mom didn't bat an eye and said, yes, yes. So Kelly made a decision to donate one of her kidneys to a stranger. Uh, She also talks about my grandpa, who was a surgeon and a pioneer with the very first open heart surgery and also a pioneer with many of the first transplants. And she was kind of saying, there's a history in our family regarding transplants. Well, she made the decision. Not everyone understood. She explains it this way. Uh, She says, a handful of bewildered friends questioned my decision to donate a kidney to someone I don't know. The simple answer when they ask why, why not? A healthy person can get by with just one kidney and the other one can be of greater use to someone whose health and general well-being have eroded as their kidneys failed. I'm happy to share the wealth. And this is her testimony as it says in the gospel of Luke, everyone to whom much is given of them will be much required and I've been given much. So here's a picture, not knowing where the kidney would go. There's Kelly in the blue dress and there's Henry right next to her. And you see Henry's wearing a cross. And then one more picture, Henry receives the kidney and there's the love, there's the closeness. Saying each other's name, Kelly, Henry, two strangers now united as as Henry has a new kidney. When Jesus says Mary, humbly says Mary as she's confused, he might be the gardener. He's saying, Mary, I see you. In your pain today, Jesus is saying, I see you. He knows your name. He knows your name. I know you. I love you, Mary. I'll still guide you. I'm still with you. I'm near to you. And Mary receives this grace and her exclamation is, I have seen the Lord. And King Jesus is benevolent and humble and wants to walk with you today right where you are. You don't have to get cleaned up first. You don't have to fake it first. You don't have to pretend like there's no grieving. You just listen to his voice and draw near and receive and say, I have heard and seen the Lord. He's not the gardener. He's the Lord. Here's the third truth. Benevolent, humble, and King Jesus is victorious and invites everyone to confidently follow him. He's inviting everyone today to confidently follow him. Maybe you've been feeling defeat. You don't have to live in defeat. There were two on the road to Emmaus and they felt defeated. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing? And this is in Luke chapter 24. In verse 25 as they're walking along the road, he said to them, and he challenged them, he said, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ, Jesus talking about himself, have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What he was unpacking for them is that there is a plan God has. And this plan includes the dissension that Jesus left heaven, the incarnation 
that he became human, both fully God and fully human, and entered a human body. That there was a crucifixion, a substitutionary atonement where he took our place, the wrath of God was upon him, this great exchange and transplant of righteousness for us, but the crucifixion is not the end of the story because God's story continues and there's a resurrection and they're just stuck in that part of the story and he's saying, no, there's a resurrection and there will be a consummation when this great king who prophesied and is faithful in all his promises will return visibly, physically to rule and reign forever as the king of kings and lord of lords. He's calling them to step out of the moment of what they're staring at as they magnify their problems and circumstances and to step back and see the greatness and the wisdom of the plan of God so they will be encouraged, so that they will have courage to continue to live for him during difficult times. See, the necessity and sufficiency of Jesus' death and resurrection. If his death was not necessary, the father's just being cruel. The father's cruel if the death isn't necessary. The death is necessary, it's also sufficient. If his death is not sufficient for our sins, and it's only a partial payment, then all the pressure is on us to perform and earn it somehow, because Jesus didn't finish it. But Jesus' last words were, it is finished. It is finished. You have a pardon that's full and eternal. And so if only his death We've got no gospel. We got no services at 9 and 1045. We got no celebration today. If all he did was die for us, then we're still in death and in our sins. But the victory comes when he's risen because the resurrection is sufficient. It's the crux of our faith. It's, it's right there. That miracle is the greatest miracle. That is the greatest moment in human history. When he overcomes death, he defeats death for eternity. This is our king. And they have some clues. We have some clues. These two on the road to Emmaus, they had some clues because they said that there were others who didn't find a body. That's a good sign. That's a good sign right there. And then there's others who told us about this vision that they saw an angel. And these angels, that's another good sign right there. Pay attention to the clues. And they're saying that Jesus is alive. He's not in the grave. That's another good sign. And in fact, the tomb is empty. His body is not there. He's the only religious leader who overcame death. And they start to realize when he walked among us, did our hearts not start to burn as he explained the scriptures? Did our hearts not to start to set on fire for God? That's another good sign. What are the signs and the clues that God has been bringing to you? Or are you so closed off to what God is saying? Is your heart so hardened by the disappointment in this world? Did your heart get so calloused along the way because of somebody and the sin they brought and what they said or did or the fallenness of this world we're living in? And they're trying to process it all. And so they connect in the community of faith. And I encourage you, don't go into isolation. 
Don't go into isolation. The devil works overtime when people are in isolation. Yes, we need to pull back. Yes, we need to refresh. Jesus got to solitary places in the morning to pray. If you're in isolation and in quiet, then listen to the Father. Don't ignore the Father. Don't stay in the cave, but you gotta come out of the cave. You really do. You gotta experience life and community. And these two on the road to Emmaus, as they're trying to process everything, they get in the community of faith, and it's a community exclamation together. Again, exclamation, exclamation. I have seen the Lord, exclamation, my God, exclamation. This is what they say, it is true, the Lord has risen. It is true, the community says, it is true, the Lord has risen. You know what you need to do during the week? Preach to yourself, preach to yourself. I got about 40 minutes with you. And and to be honest, some of you are thinking about the game and lunch and everything else. I maybe got about 15 minutes with you. I mean, were you really focused for some of you just being real at this church? But you know, you're with yourself all week long. And you know, you're the main preacher in your own life. You really are. I've got this really narrow window. You're the main preacher. You're preaching to yourself something during the week. And I encourage you to start preaching that Jesus is risen, that the Lord is good. Taste and see that it's God's will that I give him thanks. You gotta start preaching to yourself because our staff can't do everything. We really can't. We'll do all we can, but y'all gotta run with it through the power of the Holy Spirit and start living it together, united as a community of faith. So we're gonna say out loud Philippians chapter two as a community faith because this celebrates what happened. Um, no, we got the wrong verse right there. Uh, keep going. Uh, if you don't have it, then there it is. That's the one. That's it. We've got it. That's it. There it is. I want us to all say this together. We're gonna to build each other up and say this out loud. It's the truth of the resurrection. Ready? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is honored as we gather to give him praise and worship him in spirit and in truth. And part of that worship is receiving and receive today the victory that Jesus Christ has victory over sin. He has victory over the power of sin in your life and will give you a way out in every temptation. He has victory not only over the power of sin, but the penalty of sin. You don't have to live in guilt and shame. And he has victory over the presence of sin. We're gonna spend a sinless eternity together. Too good to be true, Uh, but it's true. God has not only brought victory over sin, he's brought victory over this fallen world. Don't you get tired of natural disasters and diseases and things like in your house where you fix three things and the to-do list is like five more? Don't you get tired of those days? Well, Jesus is bringing a new heaven and a new earth. And he's victorious over death. So victorious that we can say with confidence, where, oh, death is your victory, where, oh, death is your sting, and we'll be be saying that for eternity because death has been swallowed up and and these bodies are going to be resurrected just like Jesus was resurrected resurrected body we're going to receive resurrected bodies that are imperishable 
In fact, some of you have loved ones who are already there in his presence, already there in the perfection of his presence, will be raised up with resurrection bodies and there's gonna be a reunion. And I'll say this, the devil's already defeated. Jesus is victorious over darkness, demons, and the devil. The devil's a defeated foe and will be thrown in to the lake of fire. And some people in this room are like, this church believes there's a real devil in a lake of fire. Well, listen, even if you don't believe it, it's still true. And the devil's still going in the lake of fire. He's defeated. So we live victoriously now and we don't give up. Thanks be to God that the victory is through Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own thinking. His thoughts are higher than ours. It is in Christ. So that way out of temptation... God provides it. God will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. God's perfect love still drives out fear. When you thank God and give him your burdens, the peace of God will still guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When you feel weak, and we do every day, we rely on God and his power is perfect in our weakness. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're not alone. We're not orphans. The Holy Spirit, not a spirit of timidity, but power in love every day. You can forgive everyone fully because Jesus has forgiven you fully. So get rid of bitterness and resentment today. Get that poison out of your life today. There's a hope greater than our challenges and you can live every day with purpose and passion, walking around blessing people locally and globally. This is the victorious life. It's not easy, but it's daily grace. Every day is a gift from God. If you're alive today, if you're breathing right now, if you're in your right mind right now, if you have any physical strength, if you drove here in a car right now, if you've got a home to go to, it's all his grace. He gets the glory. And, and what we're trying to do as we wrap up is take in the fullness of the resurrection. What it meant then, how it happened then. Today, what does it mean? And then I wanna share these verses from the book of Revelation so we look forward as well. Revelation chapter one. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests. You are a priest when you follow Jesus. You don't need to go to seminary or get some fake online, 999. You're already a priest. Serving his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That's Revelation 1. Then look, next verse in the book of Revelation 17. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings and will and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful ones. There will be a great battle. I don't have time to talk about Armageddon in a final battle but just know the Lord will triumph. And then lastly, Revelation 19, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. It's so clear on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written. He embraces the name because it's true. And even though when he came the first time, he bowed down and and he was beaten and he was down on the ground, 
around, the whole thing will flip. God will exalt him and he's the name above every name that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, bow before him. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Give him glory. Two things as we worship, we worship and we receive. I hope today you just receive. You receive hope, his presence, his love, his care. You receive. Worship is receiving. And worship is also responding. When you receive from this king, who's benevolent, who's humble, who's victorious, see, you become like whoever you worship or whatever you worship. You worship things and hobbies you start to kind of die on the inside. You worship people, you feel disappointment on the inside. You're trying to please everybody all the time, feel some emptiness. But when you worship Jesus, you come alive and you become like him and now you respond and you're more benevolent, you're more humble, you're more victorious because this is who Jesus is. This is our king. So worship is receiving. Worship is a response to decide. And there's different decisions in this room as you've heard about Jesus. And I wanna guide us through the decisions. And so I'm simply gonna pray a prayer that if it's your decision, you can join with me. If it helps to close your eyes right now, if, if that helps you connect with God, just take whatever posture as you humble yourself before Jesus. If you're here in this room today and it's just been religion and rules for you and you've fought against this relationship, but now you've heard clearly that Jesus he loves you, pursues you, pays for your sins, and it's by grace, not earned. If you're ready today to put your trust in him and follow him for the first time as your Lord and Savior, then you pray this with me. Jesus, I wanna follow you. Thank you for not just talking about your love for me, but demonstrating it on the cross. I know you are risen. And Jesus, today you are my Lord and my Savior my king and I thank you if you're here in this room and you know the Lord but you haven't been baptized God makes it very clear Jesus was baptized Jesus tells his followers to be baptized if you've been resisting it I want to pray right now God thank you for each one in the room who knows you and hasn't yet taken that step to honor you to glorify you through baptism and I pray right now for a decision to say yes Jesus I want to baptize you I wanna live for you publicly and privately and I wanna take that next step. God, uh, we also, there's people in this room who have been isolated, haven't really had a community of faith, not really serving, growing, trying to do it alone, kind of wandering, kind of roaming. And Jesus said, sometimes we're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And uh, God's plan, he sets up many local churches there's so many in the sound. I know these pastors, great. Uh, they're, they're, they're faithful pastors. No church is perfect. The minute any of us walk into a church, it's not perfect anymore because all of us bring stuff that's not perfect. But if you're here today and you know it's time to not be wandering anymore and to be part of a community of faith, then you pray with me. God, thank you that you invite us home, that you call us into relationships where we can serve, love, encourage one another. We get so weary doing it alone. God, there might be people who are members of grace today, but it's still too alone. We pray for these steps, God, to connect and serve. We pray for these decisions to step out of isolation today, Jesus, 
like you stepped out of that dead grave. We want to step out of empty religion. God, we also pray in this room, anyone who's grieving, we pray for your comfort today, God. Anyone who feels hopeless, that your hope would flood their hearts today. God, we humbly bow before you today. We worship you, Jesus. Your name is above all names. There's no other name under heaven given by which we may be saved. And we worship you. We worship you, Jesus.